Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. We turn to scripture, let's pray. Oh God, through these ancient words and through the meditations of each of our hearts, tune us so that we may each live as instruments of your praise. Amen. Today, our scripture passage is one of my favorites. It's a story that gets told more than once in the Bible, but we're going to read the version from the book of Numbers. And if you've ever been around a child who is complaining about seemingly everything, then this story might sound very familiar to you. It's not a story about children, but Moses and the Israelites have been stuck in the wilderness for a long time, and they miss their favorite foods. They are sick of the manna, which falls with the dew each day. And you'll hear in the scripture, it describes manna as these little seeds, like as little as coriander seeds. And so the Israelites would go around and they would gather them together from the fields, and then they would mix them with oil and fry them into cakes. These are biblical donuts. And even though they'd found a way to make it palatable, They missed the flavors of other food. They were really sick of eating the same thing every day. They missed meat and melon and fresh vegetables. They don't say this, but we can assume they missed chocolate too. This scripture passage is the diary account of their whining, but it is so much more than that. I think it's also a crash course on what it means to be a leader. So listen now to what the Spirit is saying to her church this day through Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 17. Now when the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. Then the fire of the Lord burned against them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. But the people cried out to Moses, And Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire abated. So that place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned against them. The camp followers with them had a strong craving. And the Israelites also wept again and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength has dried up, and there is nothing but all this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color of gum resin. The people went around and gathered it, ground it in mills or beat it in mortars, then boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. 
So Moses said to the Lord, why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burdens of all this people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a wet nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they come to me weeping, saying, give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The other day I had to get an Uber across town, and a few minutes into the drive, the driver said to me, where'd you come from? I can tell you aren't from here. And you know, whenever someone asks you where you came from, you have a choice to make. Do you want to give an answer that is the beginning of a long conversation, or do you just want to give as few details as possible and try to shut it down? I thought I was choosing the second option because I had some phone calls that I was planning to make as I was in the back of this car. And so I said, I moved here from Atlanta, and that's all I offered. And then the driver got animated and said, oh, Atlanta, you know they've got that election going on. That's all it took. And the rest of the drive... He shared his thoughts on every candidate in Georgia's election right now and the shortcomings each of them would need to address if elected, which I thought was interesting. They didn't have work to do if they weren't elected. These were only problems if they actually won. We are all too well aware that election season isn't confined to Georgia. The entire country is approaching significant decisions about who will govern But these conversations about who's going to lead, well, those aren't even conversations confined to the United States. As we witnessed with the news of Liz Truss's resignation, it is so easy to see just how many people across the world are talking about who will govern. What does leadership look like? Talk of leadership or lack thereof is central to our news cycles these days. It's central to the conversations we're having with one another, having with Uber drivers. What does leadership look like? What should it look like? Who's a leader? And I don't think it should take an election season or a crisis of leadership to ask these questions. I think as people of faith, we should have a clear answer to the question, who is a leader? I think as people of faith, we should have a clear picture of what leadership looks like. When I was in seminary, I traveled across the country one summer meeting with college students and camp counselors and others who were committed to the church in one way or another, but likely hadn't thought about ministry as a way to live out their commitment to faith. And so I would show up and gather groups of these young folks together, hoping that just any one of them in a given group would be open to exploring leadership in the church and perhaps ministry as a vocation. 
And I kind of got a rhythm for gathering these groups together. And so I'd always begin by asking them what leaders inspired them, who they looked up to when they thought about who they wanted to be in the world or the ways that they wanted to serve the world. And they'd start calling out names. And you never knew what names you were going to get, but I learned that I could always count on hearing the same five show up somewhere. Usually, no matter who was gathered, I'd hear Martin Luther King was a leader people admired, Jimmy Carter, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa. And so I'd pull those five names and say, you know, what do those leaders have in common with each other? And they would wonder aloud, try to draw connections. Usually they just came to a consensus that they shared uh, a status as kind of celebrity leaders. They were people who'd become public figures and were well-known for their work. And so I'd point out to them that all of those people shared a deep commitment to their faith, even if it wasn't the same faith. And the actions that they were remembered for were commitments born out of their religious convictions. I wonder who the leaders are that you look up to. Do they all lead around the same issue, or do they lead in a way that you find compelling? Because I think more often than not, what draws us to leaders, even when they are leading um, about very compelling issues, it's more about their style of leadership. And I think all the people on that list were admired for how they led, just as much as they are admired for the causes that they committed their lives to. Which is fitting for us people of faith, because you know what our scriptures don't say? They don't say that if you are going to be a leader, then here are the three issues you're going to have to tackle in your lifetime. Instead, scripture charges us very broadly. It says, do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with God. And then the scriptures give us stories about how to lead as people who do those things. So loving justice for us in the year 2022 might look very different. In fact, it should look different in our world today than it has looked for generations of Christian leaders who've come before. So we're going to spend the next few weeks exploring how to lead as people of faith because ultimately faith requires leadership. It requires people who are committed to embodying God's demands on our lives and then living in a way that is a visible testament to those commands. So what we read this morning is one of my favorite biblical leadership lessons. In fact, it is the first scripture that all of our new elders and deacons read when we first get together for training. We worship right here as a group, and I always begin with that scripture because it gets to the heart of leadership. I call it Moses's kill me prayer. Moses has been appointed as the leader, even though he is a very unlikely leader. He was a Hebrew child who was supposed to be killed. Moses, the man with the stutter who had to enter witness protection program because he had murdered an Egyptian. There were plenty of reasons to overlook Moses and assume that he had nothing to offer as a leader, and yet 
He is the one who is appointed to lead the people of Israel. And so he guides them through the sea and into freedom. It is Moses who leads them from slavery to freedom. And so if nothing else, Moses is a reminder to us all that no one is off limits when it comes to how God works in the world and who God will use to accomplish God's purposes. And so here's Moses in this story, an unlikely leader who's responsible for an entire community, and you heard for yourselves just how whiny they were. Even though they were free, they were unhappy with everything. And they wanted Moses to know it. And so Moses finally reaches his breaking point. He just can't take it anymore. He was trying to do what he'd been appointed to do, but it just felt like nothing was working. And so he cries out to God with these words that I love because they are so honest. He says, why have you treated me so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive them? Did I birth them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom? Where am I going to get meat for all these people? For they keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't do it. I can't carry them alone. They're just too heavy. And then the part, which is why I call it the kill me prayer. He says, if this is the way you're going to treat me, then put me to death at once. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? I mean, it is a tempting prayer for leaders because when it seems like everything depends on you and nothing you do will make a difference, death or whatever it takes to escape your leadership, that's what he's asking for. He's just asking to get out of his situation That seems to be the prayer that leaders would want to pray. Just make it stop. Take it away from me. I don't want this burden. I don't want to have to take on the task. And that is the temptation of leadership, I think, for all of us, is to think that it all depends on us, that somehow what we do as individuals will make or break whatever God is up to in the world. It sounds funny to say that aloud, that we should think of ourselves so highly that we have power to thwart God's activity in the world. But it makes us feel important when we're leading to think that everything depends on us. And I think when we entice ourselves to think that we lead alone, we inevitably wind up saying some version of that prayer, get me out of this, make it stop. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has one of my very favorite definitions of leadership. He says, a leader is anyone who takes responsibility. Anyone who takes responsibility. Your ability to respond. That's it. Not your intellect, not your organizational skills, not your communication style, not your achievements or your education. Taking responsibility is what makes a leader And I would say anyone who takes responsibility for the kingdom of God, which means doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God, well, that is what makes a faithful leader. Here's the thing, though. Moses had the ability to respond. Moses took his responsibility really seriously. 
He had taken on so much responsibility, leading the Israelites out of slavery, guiding them through the wilderness, hearing their complaints, maintaining a relationship with God on behalf of the whole community. And that still left him dry. It still left him praying that kill me prayer. His commitment to taking responsibility for God's kingdom left him feeling isolated and ineffective. And if that's what it means to be a leader, well, who wants to sign up for that? Which is why God's response to this prayer is so important for all of us. Moses cries out, and then God responds immediately and says, not I'll take it away from you, as Moses was hoping. He says, go gather 70 elders together. I'll take the spirit that is on you, and I'll spread it across them so that they bear the burdens of the people with you. Now you know how Presbyterians have come to be governed by a group of elders. I'm not joking. Anyone can take responsibility, but leaders acting of faith know that leadership is always shared. It is a team sport, and it never belongs to one person alone. And what is our worship service today if not a visible testament to that All of these musicians are sharing the responsibility for what you're hearing in worship today. None of them could make those sounds alone. When I think back to that list of leaders rattled off by college students, it's so clear that all the people they mentioned knew that. They knew that it didn't depend on them, that leadership was meant to be shared among a community. I think the world would prefer us to think that leaders must lead alone, that leadership is by definition an individual sport. But our faith has a much more compelling vision of leadership, and it begins with a vision of all the saints taking responsibility for God's kingdom, knowing that the only way we'll do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God is if we do it together in community. Remember all that complaining about manna that came from the Israelites? The word manna, which has come to mean bread, is actually a question in the Hebrew language. It's man who, and it means what is it? So the Israelites would wander the fields in the morning and see the dew with the manna spread out across them, and they would just wander around asking, man, who? What is it? Which is a funny thought after imagining what their bedtime prayers must have been the night before. Please let tomorrow be the day that I get fish or vegetables or leeks, whatever. And then they are greeted with those tiny seeds. And so they say again, what is it? You see, God's grace, God's sustenance, God's daily bread didn't appear in the way that they asked or imagined. It appeared in the form of those tiny seeds, which turned out to be just enough. And I think the same was true for Moses. He cried out to God, knowing exactly what he was asking for, knowing what he wanted God's grace to look like. And yet... God responds with the unlikeliest of answers. Instead of saying, sure, I'll take this away from you, he says, okay, I will share the responsibility. You don't go it alone. You do it in community with others. 
I think if we take this leadership lesson to heart, then remembering that we don't go it alone, that leadership is always meant to be shared, becomes the unexpected grace we need to lead as people of faith. In fact, it becomes our daily bread. Grace again and again and again, even when we ask ourselves, what is it? So my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that that grace shows up again and again as we remember that all the saints get the privilege and the responsibility for God's kingdom showing up right here among us. Let that be your daily bread. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen.